let's dive into our word this morning. And uh, we continue on our series cross-reference the scriptures, scriptures, Old and New Testament. They paint a picture of God's work all the way from creation, all the way until the birth of the church and the first few decades of the church uh, in the book of Acts. And uh, it talks about what God is doing in the world, okay? As we read scripture, we understand, we find out what God is doing in the world. And in our four-part series cross-reference, we are looking at the connection between Old and New Testaments around a few important themes. themes. It's only a four-part series, so we're only looking at four themes. So far, we have seen the connection between the Old and New Testament in the, in the themes of Jesus' death and resurrection, and also of God's covenant, which we did last week. Next week, we're going to look at the theme of eternity, a very important theme for us, amen? And today, in part three, we're going to look at the theme of Israel and the church, Israel and the church. And you may ask, now, what does Israel got to do with me today? What is history? How does history affect me today? Listen, more than you think, more than you think, because if it is in Scripture, it is important, all right? And that's why we are doing it. And so I hope that as this message evolves, you will gain some understanding and insight, both about your faith, as well as about what is happening in the world right now, what is happening in the world around you. As you watch the news and as you hear particularly things going in the Middle East, I hope that after today you'll, you'll be more aware and will be able to have a greater understanding. Why talk about Israel? Well, because in the Bible there are only two groups of people that God refers to as his witnesses on the earth. The first group is the Jewish nation, the Old Testament the Jews were God's witness on the earth. It's the people that he chose through whom to reveal himself on the earth. The other group is the church. Yeah, you and I. The New Testament is about God using the church to reveal himself to the world. Now, you remember that last week we spoke about the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant which God made with Moses was addressed to whom? To the nation of Israel. They are the ones who had to keep the covenant. The laws are not for everybody. It was for that people. It was a special people. In the book of Genesis, we see the beginning of the story. And we hear about the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then, of course, Jacob and his sons, they go to, to Egypt and eventually they become slaves there for 400 years. And when they come out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, for the first time, they are addressed as a nation. Started first as a family. Abram, Isaac, Jacob, it was just a family. But after 400 years in Egypt, they've multiplied and now God addresses them as a nation. A nation. So Abraham, he gave birth to a nation. And this nation, 
gave birth to Jesus, our Savior. He came out of that nation. Amen? And as we also heard last week, Jesus then instituted the new covenant. All right? Abraham, nation, old covenant. Jesus, new covenant. And this new covenant does not have laws written in stone, but in the hearts and minds of people. Because it is now a spiritual covenant. Also, this new covenant is not just for the nation of Israel, but for everyone. It's open to all nations. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ as Savior, as Messiah, has access to this new covenant. It is not restricted to one nation. Now, the Bible says that faith, now that faith has come, we are not no longer under a guardian. The law is like a guardian, you know. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And, and Paul writes this in Galatians. And in Galatians, he's writing to Jews and Gentiles. In fact, in, in Galatia, there were more Gentiles than Jews. And so he tells them, now under Jesus Christ, you're all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are one, all, one in Christ Jesus. And that's the beauty of the new covenant. It's not restrictive. It's not kept only for one nation or one ethnic group or one class or caste of people. Everybody, rich and poor, male, female, any nationality in this earth, on this earth, you are welcome into the kingdom of God. You are welcome into the new covenant. There's a condition. You must believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. You must believe that he's the Messiah. You must believe in the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. And he's alive today. And if you can do that, you're welcome in the kingdom. And, and so now that we've got this new thing, this new covenant, which now encompasses everybody, the question becomes, so what happened to Israel? They were God's people in the Old Testament. And now that Jesus brought the gospel to all, has the church now taken the place of Israel and is now Israel just another country like Greece and Italy and everybody else? Are they now just an ordinary nation like everybody else? Well, there are two extreme views prevalent amongst believers today concerning Israel. And this is nothing new. This debate about Jews and the church, Israel and the church, has been going on since the early days of the church. And that is why it is in the New Testament. Because as early as that, there was already rumblings of division, of concern, of confusion. And there are two extreme views about that. And sometime or other, let me tell you something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, sometime or other, Somebody is going to knock at your door, talk with you over lunchtime, or in conversation, or you're going to read up something. Something is going to jump at you from social media. Somewhere along your life as a Christian, you are going to be confronted with the matter of 
Israel and the church. In one of those two extreme views. And so we need to be ready as believers to discern and to respond. The word of God is really clear that we must be ready to give an answer for what we believe. Remember what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. Let's read that. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture. Say all scripture. All right. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Now when it says all scripture, we understand all scripture to mean the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so if the stuff we are talking about today is in the Bible, it makes part of all scripture. And therefore, what you're talking about today is profitable. For what? For doctrine? Doctrine tells us what to believe. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof tells us what not to believe. And so as you study the word of God, you're going to learn about what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe. It is there for correction. In other words, how not to behave. And for instruction in righteousness. In other words, how to behave. And so the word of God tells us, you know, what to believe, what not to believe, how to behave, how not to behave, how to respond and how to respond. All that comes from our knowledge and understanding of scripture. And so this message will help us how to respond to this matter in regards to the nation of Israel. So let's talk about the two extremes. On the one extreme is what is called replacement theology. And as you can understand, a lot of this debate actually happens amongst theologians and amongst preachers. And it filters down to the church. And so many believers, they follow this line of thinking and replacement theology this simply means there are Christians who believe that the church has replaced Israel as God's people. In other words, in the Old Testament, there was Israel. Now in the New Testament, there is the church and God has completely rejected Israel. He's embraced the church now. Those guys, they broke God's law. They crucified Jesus. And so God is done with them. I'm going to take the church now and I'm going to work through the church. And when you think of it logically, humanly, it kind of makes sense. I mean, how many centuries has God been putting up with these people, these Jews, which constantly break his law, and he forgives them, and they break the law again? Say, eventually God says, enough is enough. I'm done with you. Now I'm going to, this is my new project now, the church. Oh, come on, guys, you the church. And so many people believe that's it. We are now God's people. We are now God's chosen. <laughs> and those Jews, sis, man, you know, what, what did you do? And what happens is that this idea of broking, breaking out, you know, has, has caused a lot of problems. This idea dates back to the first century of the church. When writing to, to Romans, Paul warned the Gentile believers that were in Rome, because the church of Rome comprised of quite a number of Jews and Gentiles as well. 
but but a, a majority of Jews in Rome. And so when he writes to the church in Romans, he actually warns them. And he warns the Gentile believers not to turn against their Jewish brothers and sisters. Because during that first century, second century, many Christians, they turned against the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, because they crucified Jesus. They rejected Jesus. They were the reason why the Romans crucified Jesus. And so they blamed the Jews for the death of the Savior. And they reckon we cannot have anything to do with these people as a nation. And as a consequence, as a result, many Christian Jews were also rejected in the process. Paul kind of saw that this was coming. There was something, something is going to give here. And so he warns the brothers and sisters. He could see trouble coming. And this point of view has had serious and tragic repercussions over the years. Some of the early church fathers preached hatred against the Jews and encouraged the believers not to have anything to do with the Jewish nation or with Jews as a race. They saw this, the fact that they crucified Jesus, the fact that they continue in, in their laws and, and rejected the gospel, they saw this as enough reason to write them off. And then, of course, there were some pagan nations. You know, that, that comes, goes back to the Old Testament. You know, the pagan nations, they, they hated Israel. They want to destroy Israel. So Christians against Jews plus pagan nations against Jews, that was the, the, the bed, the bedrock, the formation of the anti-Semitic movement. It came back from there. And unfortunately... There was Christian theology involved over there supporting this idea. Supporting this idea. And this anti-Semitic movement kind of culminated in the Holocaust. And I say culminated. It has not culminated because it continues today. If you watch the news carefully, you're going to pick up all over the world anti-Semitic Actions continue today. Why? Because of this idea that the church has replaced Israel. And so now the, 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 the pagans and the unbelievers have their political reasons to hate Israel. Christians which believe in this replacement theology have their reasons to reject Israel. And so they remain a rejected people for these groups of people. That's the one extreme. On the other spectrum, which is becoming increasingly popular these days, is the idea <laughs> that to be a Christian, you must understand Jewish laws and customs. You must adopt some of the laws and practices as part of your Christian worship. And with this comes the idea that as believers we must have Shabbat on, on Friday evenings where you, where you break bread as a family and have devotions. And the idea of wearing a prayer shawl, a Jewish prayer shawl when you pray, a talit over your head when you pray. The idea of doing church on Sabbath, in other words on Saturday instead of on Sunday. The emphasis on, on doing trips to Israel to fully understand the context of where Jesus walked. The idea 
of taking part in celebrating Jewish feasts in a Jewish way. Because God said that those feasts were to be practiced in perpetuity. The practice of calling Jesus and God by their Hebrew pronunciation. So you don't say Jesus, say Joshua. You don't say God or Jehovah, say Yahweh or whatever. And, and, and so on. And so these things, some people begin to say, no, to be a good Christian, you've got, you've got, to, do it. You've got to be part Jewish. Now listen, there is nothing wrong in doing any of these things sometimes. There's nothing wrong in trying to learn more about the Jewish culture so that you can understand the Bible better, especially the Old Testament. Nothing wrong in, 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 in having experience and trying to have some cultural understanding of these things. But the problem is when you get told that you must do these things because Jesus was, a, was Jewish and he did it. Therefore, we must do it as well if we want to be proper Christians. And so this becomes that group, the Jesus plus Christians. To be a good Christian, you've got to believe in Jesus plus. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. You've got to keep this law. You've got to do that. And, and so it becomes a Jesus plus something. Amen. You've got to be very careful. Listen, we do not impress our Jewish friends or brothers and sisters in Christ by trying to behave like them. We don't. We don't impress God either. If you're a Gentile and now you're going to behave like a Jew, you, you don't. Okay? So, where does Israel stand in relation to the church? The answer does not lie in any of these extreme views. A careful study of the both the Old and New Testament reveals something different. And here's a very quick summary because it's a very short study and it's a very big topic. So we're not going to cover everything, okay? From the beginning, God intended Israel to be a different nation. God's desire was to manifest himself in the world through this nation. If they would listen to him and live according to his pattern. But of course, we know the Bible tells us that this did not happen. Throughout the Old Testament, there were those few Jewish people who did, who were faithful to God, who did practice what God said. They are called the remnant. You find that word all over the Old Testament. The nation would rebel against God, but there was a remnant, a few people that obeyed God. And their stories are the stories that are, that are in the Old Testament. So there were many Jewish people, who, although they belonged to the nation of the Israel, they were not faithful to God. And then there were these few, the remnant, and then there were the Gentiles, everyone who was not Jewish. When Jesus was born, there was a remnant. Joseph and Mary were part of that remnant. They were faithful to God, and God could trust them with his son, as his incarnate son. And, and so was Simeon and Anna at the temple. They were part of the remnant. They were expecting the Messiah. They were faithful to God. They were worshiping God. They were doing what God wanted them to do. When Jesus began his ministry, it was those who were part of this remnant who followed him. Those who were looking out for the Messiah. Those who were believing in God and trusting God for, for restoration. They, they had faith in God. Those are the ones who noticed Jesus and began to follow him. The remnant. Those who opposed Jesus and eventually killed Jesus, they were part of the nation of Israel, but not part of this remnant. Here are some of the many verses that speak about this. A, a few quick ones. Isaiah 10, 21, it says, A remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. God has always, throughout all the persecution of Israel, through all the battles and attacks and, and, and so on, God has always had a remnant, a few people 
were faithful to him and whom he protected and brought back. Jeremiah 23.3 I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. And as you know, because of Israel's unfaithfulness, they were scattered. They were taken off Israel. They were scattered all over the world. Since 1948, we who are alive today, we can look and we can see the result. We can see this verse taking place. They have returned to Israel from all over the world. A remnant has returned to Israel. And they've rebuilt that nation. But in this verse, God is speaking of more than just the nation of Israel. Because God is going to restore his people. Romans 9.27. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. He's referring back to, Paul is now referring back to, to, to Isaiah the prophet. And uh, he, he, he cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. So although there are many Jewish people, not all of them are faithful to God. But there's a remnant. Those who are faithful, they will be saved. And we've seen this throughout history. On the day of Pentecost, it was the remnant, the true Jewish believers who were present. They were gathered in the room. They were waiting for, for, for the Holy Spirit to come. They were there. And they were present and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Those that responded to the message were remnant. They were also there out of faithfulness to God. And they understood the message. They accepted the message. And so the church began. And soon Gentiles were added to the group and formed part of the church. And Paul uses the analogy of a grafted olive tree to explain what is happening. You take an olive tree which is nicely cultured. And then you take a wild olive tree and you graft into the cultured olive tree and it produces good fruit that wild olive tree which would normally not produce something worthwhile when it once it's grafted in the good cultivated olive tree produces good fruit and paul uses that analogy he says the following in romans 11 verses 17 to 18 he says if some of the branches have been broken off and you Though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. See, yeah, I told you about Romans, Paul warning the, the people there, and this is part of his warning. So he's saying, you know what? From that root, from that which was the Jewish nation rooted in God, in his promises. And they're coming out, some branches, some branches have been broken off, cut off. Why? Because of their unbelief. God has cut them off. They're not part of the olive tree anymore. But then it says, you, wild olive shoot, you've been grafted amongst the others into the healthy, cultivated olive tree. And now you're producing fruit. And it says, do not judge the others now. Those are for no, do not judge them. Don't consider yourself superior. Oh, I'm better than them, you know, because they rejected Jesus. I haven't rejected Jesus. Be careful, he says. Because you don't support the foundation. The foundation supports you. 
that whole history of God raising a people and raising a remnant, and those people were faithful to God, they built a foundation that eventually brought out Jesus, and now you have been grafted into that. It supports you. You don't support them. Romans 11, 20 to 21. But they were broken off, those that were cut out, because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. You see? We stand by faith. And because they had no belief in God, God chopped those branches off. And you are there because you have faith. It's your faith in God. So he says, do not be arrogant, but tremble. In other words, fear God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, if God cut off his natural the nation he called up of Israel, if he cut them off because of their unfaithfulness, he says, will he not, he will not spare you either. So we who have been grafted in that tree now as Gentiles, we are now part of that, of that cultivated olive tree. If we will turn our backs on God, turn our backs to our faith, is be careful. God cut them off, God will cut you off too. So don't get arrogant. Don't misuse the grace of God. Don't think you owe, you know, that they owe you something. Uh -uh. Stay humble. Stay faithful. Romans 11, 22, 24. And if they, now this is interesting, if they did not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. He's talking about those that were cut off. Those unbelievers that were cut off. If they return to believing in God, God says you'll graft them in again. Now, that might be difficult for us in the natural to do, but God can do it. He can take an, an old dried branch and he can graft it right back, back in and give it life again. So you see, there is hope for the Jewish nation, even for those who have rejected Christ. After all, if you are cut off out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, or, and contrary to nature, we're grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Amen? Yeah, so as I said, that all of the tree speaks of the true Israelites who are, who are faithful to God. They are the ones who have been his people and so forth. So now we, as we continue the, 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 the study, we see that there is hope for even for those who rejected Christ. God is still patient. He's still waiting for them to repent. And the Bible indicates that the day will come with the nation of Israel who has rejected Jesus Christ and today still largely reject him. One day, they're going to be grafted back into the olive tree. They're going to repent. So, a few observations. God is not finished with Israel yet. Jeremiah 31, 35 says the following. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. What is God saying here? The day that the sun doesn't shine, the day that there's no more stars, in other, words, in other words, the day that this planet ceases to exist, then God will say that Israel is not his nation anymore. Is the sun shining out there? Is it? Then today, God says, Israel is still a nation before me. Therefore, God has not given up on Israel. He has not forgotten about them. There is a plan for Israel. Amen. The promises that God made in the past, which have not been fulfilled yet concerning Israel, will be fulfilled one day. 
And so many people are scared. Oh, this world, you know, we, we're destroying the planet. We're going to destroy. We must find another place to go to. Hey, I'm at ease, man, because God is in control. We're not going to self-destruct. God is in control. Jesus came back to this earth, not to some alternate planet. So in spite of our stupidity in terms of destroying the planet, God is going to be merciful. And before we completely destroy ourselves, Jesus is going to return. So don't fear, man. Don't fear. Don't start booking your, your, your place to go to Mars. Ain't going to happen, man. Can you see our understanding of Scripture affects the way you look at life and look at the world? It is a huge mistake to disregard Israel as a nation or to be against her. Now, Israel, of course, is not a perfect nation. And it is fallen like all other nations. But you cannot deny that no nation in the world is like Israel. For just about 2,000 years, they were scattered from the land. And yet, in a few decades, they were able to rebuild and take the lead in the world in many technologies. Where else do you see that? There's obviously something supernatural going on over this nation. How often, how many times have the nations of this world tried to destroy Israel? Right now, they are under threat. And somehow, they cannot do it. There is no doubt. There is a supernatural thing going on over this nation. So be careful how you handle Israel. No people have been persecuted and executed like the Jews, yet somehow they remain resilient and they survive. The Old Testament prophets concerning Israel, her unfaithfulness to God and her scattering and subsequent regathering have come about just as predicted. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple happened just as Jesus foretold. And there is no reason not to believe that the remaining prophecies and the promises of God will also not come to pass. In other words, the third temple will be rebuilt. And God's dealings with Israel will, are still going to happen. And as you see, the world turning against Israel and the conflict in the Middle East know that this is not just political turmoil. There is a spiritual reason for all that is happening. Israel, listen, they would love to be just another nation. They would love to be accepted by the world, to be accepted in the economic systems, and, and to have peace. And one day, it is going to happen. Because they are going to allow the Antichrist to reign. They'll probably be lured by the promise of the third temple. But this peace which they're going to enjoy, this, this, this connection with the world that they're going to enjoy, is going to be short-lived. Because one day the Antichrist is going to walk into the temple and declare himself to be God. And turmoil is going to be right back again in the nation of Israel. The learning about Israel and the Old Testament, so through learning about Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament, we learn about God. As you read all this, don't focus on the people, focus on the God of the people. We don't worship Israel, we worship the God who created Israel. We worship the God who created the new covenant. The God who prepared a plan of salvation for us. But as we watch the history of Israel and the history of the church, we learn about God. We learn about his patience. We learn about his kindness, his long-suffering. We learn that he is a holy God. We learn that God is a jealous God who, who, who is jealous over his people. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He's a good God. He's a God of restoration. And that's all you know, that one day Israel will be restored. When Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives, Israel 
will recognize their mistake. They're going to look at Jesus and realize that the one whom we crucified, the one whom we rejected, he is Messiah. They will repent and there will be a restoration. Now, this has been a very brief overview of the theme in scripture. The Bible has much more to say. However, I hope that this brief talk will, will help you to better understand what will create a desire in you to learn more and to be alert to these things. I hope you'll be discerning as you hear the news concerning the happenings in the Middle East which relate to Israel. And watch as more nations begin to join forces against Israel and know that it is not just political, it is prophetic. It's in the Bible. As a believer though, you should pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the salvation of the Jews. Unfortunately, a large number of Jews, they are nationalists. They attend the religious activities, but a large number of them are atheists or, you know, don't believe. That they believe there's a God, but it's out there somewhere else. So be very careful. And don't get involved in political power play against Israel. They remain God's people. God is still dealing with them. But right now, we as the church, we are the mouthpiece of God in this world. This little branch which was put in there, this foreign branch, has grown greatly, has multiplied. As Christians are multiplying all over the world. Let's remain faithful to our mission. Until the return of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's stand up and let's pray. I trust this has been useful to you and will continue to help you as you understand what is going on around us. And be alert to people that want to use the extremes, you know, concerning Israel and the church. Do not fall prey to that. Do not be manipulated by those things. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, if it is in your word, it is for our learning, for our edification, for our teaching. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you can help us to discern what's happening in the world around us, to know and understand that you are active on the earth. You are active in Israel. You have not given up on them, Lord God. And so we know that the prophecies will still come to pass. Help us as a church, Lord God, to show the world, not just the Jews, but the whole world, what it is like to have a living relationship with God. May our testimony, may our way of life, the way we believe and the way we behave, Lord God, cause unbelievers to want to know more about Jesus, Lord. And may your love flow through us. May your kindness and your goodness be seen through the church, Lord God, to the world out there. And so we thank you for your word, Father. And as we go into this new week, Thank you for being with us. Thank you for strength. Thank you for your comfort. Thank you for courage, Lord. And thank you for wisdom. Help us to be alert to those around us. Help us to bring words of encouragement, if necessary, words of, of correction and instruction in a loving way, Lord, that they can understand who you are and be drawn closer to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So now may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit remain with us until the day of your coming in Jesus' name. Amen. Enjoy your Sunday and see you next week again for our final part. God bless you.